Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your mostly weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. And by ourselves, I am referring to me, Camille Foster. I do various things at a place called Freethink. I am joined today by one Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine. Matt is here in the building. And Michael Moynihan, this dude who does things on Vice News Tonight, a program that airs on HBO. Michael is uh, in Georgia someplace on location. I'm in Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, I'm in Georgia, the state, not the country, by the way. That's, well, that's That's true. No, it's a fair distinction to make. Especially with something going on, so many neocon junkets as Michael Moynihan is. They go to Georgia like every nine months. But when I say Georgia. They really should be in NATO this time. I don't think anyone could be confused (laughs) if I am saying Georgia. Georgia does not sound like Are you code switching? Because my ears don't recognize code switches. I mean, I'm just, is that code switching? But the idea that Moynihan could be in the Republic of Georgia getting a peppy cake. Presented to him is entirely plausible. Not yeah, that is totally true. plausible. Yeah. That is also the 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 wonderful baritone voice <laughs> of our good friend Anthony Fisher, director, producer, um, and you know what? Just just down ass dude. Because I forgot the booze wow. at home. We had some booze That's true. that has been sent to us. In fact, we have a bunch of booze in the mailroom at the Freethink office, and I I just can't lift it all, so I have to do various things. But Fisher went and brought booze back here so that we could have it and uh, and share it with one another. But, gentlemen, it's been a little while. This constellation has not been together in the new year. It's wonderful to see you are all. I should have said, how the hell are you? But I'm not going to say that because it's whatever. We've already started. Um, but I just wanted to say that I'm glad to be here with all of you in some way, shape, or form. We're all vigorously nodding uh, you know, yeah. through the silence. There's, there's a serious earnestness, which usually yeah. doesn't happen in this room. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're holding hands now. It's a seance all of a sudden. Uh, uh, let's, you know, Moynihan, God knows what he's doing in a hotel. I know, I what are you doing in Georgia? I'm, Can you talk I'm about staring, it? Well, I'm just staring at the window of my hotel, wishing I was dead. <laughs> same old, same old. Just really don't want to. Same old thing. Just don't want to be alive anymore. I'm on this damn podcast. <laughs> am, I getting, am I getting paid for this yet or yes. what? Yes. Yeah, you are. Uh, you no, get... I'm in Georgia um, um, shooting something uh, for our weekly uh, show on HBO that will air sometime uh, in the coming year. Um, and uh, but uh, a slight preview is that if you are listening to this this week on Friday, there will be a special airing on HBO in the um, Vice News Tonight time slot, uh, which I will be hosting about uh, Donald Trump's first year in power Ooh. and uh, includes uh, uh, interviews with me and uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, Chuck Schumer, Roger Stone. Um, a lot of luminaries. Uh, Ann Coulter, that was a fun one. So that'll be coming up on Friday. So I hope people watch it. Who of that? It might be terrible. Of that uh, <laughs> quadrumvirate, or however you uh, pronounce that, uh, slapped your knee and said, Michael! Uh, was that uh, Ann Coulter? Yeah. Oh, I- uh, no, it was Aziz Ansari, which I, <laughs> I don't know why I interviewed him. It was unrelated to the piece. And his fingers were like um, in this weird no, like, V shape yeah, when he did it. Whoa. A, well, sorry. Look. Sorry. No, well, I had a, uh, the best experience of that was uh, was uh, 
uh, Bernie Sanders uh, freaking out because his chair was too short, <laughs> which is quite funny. Uh, and he said, and he said to his assistant, "I told you to get rid of this very small chair," and he got rid of his chair. It was great. Uh, he was a very fun interview, and I have to say that, as is often the case with me, and I'm routinely mocked for it. Um, I, I liked him a lot. He was a fun, he was a fun guy to hang out with, to be honest. I mean, it was just a it was just a you know probably forty five minute thing, but but he was he was game for all the all the good questions. You're so, so I liked interviewing. Him. Your Sanders impression just went from like a three to a nine by that exposure. I can tell. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I don't know. I woke up one day. It's like one of those movies where you like wake up and you know you're you, I get kicked in the head by a horse or something, and now all of a sudden I'm very good at the Sanders impression. So there's plenty of shit because last week we were supposed to record on Friday. Wait, wait, I, wait, wait. Did you say there's plenty of shit? I did say okay, shit. Um, which actually I could be on uh, on CNN now because we're allowed to say shit things on television, uh, primarily because of this shithole scandal, um, which has lasted almost, what, five days now? Four or five, yeah. Yeah. And of course, the reason it won't go away is because everyone is getting such a kick out of being able to say this on television. Or um, write it as while, case while behaving in this weird, puritanical way. It's just, it's bizarre. But there's the shithole thing. Um, last week, uh, FISA renewal actually made its way through the house. Um, and of course, because we are in the age of sex scandals, there's all manner of sex scandal stuff, um, afoot. I, I suspect we will try our best to talk about all of those things, um, but perhaps we should begin with shithole gate. And this is a weird situation. Um, if we rewound the tape to Monday of last week um, or Tuesday of last week, the president was actually convening a meeting at the White House. And I thought it was so bizarre. I went back and looked at like headlines. And on Wednesday, um, a CNN headline read uh, Trump's image rehabilitation show. Um, and that was the description coming off of the strength of this meeting. He held a bipartisan meeting discussing immigration. Um, it was a bit of kabuki theater, like the president sitting there behaving as though he has a substantive understanding of all these policy issues, agreeing forcefully with people, oftentimes completely disagreeing with the thing he said just moments before, but doing it all very confidently um, and actually seemed to get pretty positive marks afterwards for this performance. Um and he wrote this for about a day and a half, Tuesday, Wednesday, and by Thursday, a new story breaks. Dick Durbin goes out and gives this press conference describing a private meeting, a private meeting that he had with the president and several other um, lawmakers, mostly Republicans, it sounds like. Um, during this meeting, the president proceeds to describe certain regions of the world as shitholes. Um, and all hell has broken loose. The president is widely regarded by many members of the media and I suspect the public as well as being a racist for making these comments. Um, and any substantive conversation that was happening about immigration reform and the specific policies that were being pursued has been completely supplanted. This was an effort to try to get DACA, the deferred action for various children who were brought here illegally and have lived here for many years um, that program is in the Trump administration had ended. They've been trying to get some sort of legislative fix for a while. This meeting was supposed to do that. They seem to be getting close to doing that. Um, that whole process all now seems to have exploded in the face of this, um, bizarro controversy. Um, so I've tried to set that up. It's a little convoluted, but I wonder if you gentlemen have thoughts on what the hell is going on here. My, um, as uh, irony would have it, I guess, um, 
uh, I no longer have confidence in the definition of that word. Uh, but on Wednesday of last week, so this broke Thursday, the shithole. Yeah, Thursday morning. Shithole or shit house? I think that some people have been saying that there's a. I don't even know how <clears throat> shit house is. Shit house a thing? Um, how does that even make sense? Countries can be shit houses. Um, shit houses I hope so. Shit houses in real. Yeah, in, in various parts of Australia and Appalachia, shit house is an outhouse. And uh, in yeah. a is uh, better is in it a live, no, it's it's it's, it's <laughs> not <laughs> true. Is <laughs> I, mean, I mean, no, I mean it, it, that that the sh- that that definition of shit house is true. That he said shit house is not true. Yeah, uh, there is a yeah. live recording of the doors uh, uh, where uh, Jim Morrison says, "All right." Hey, you better watch out because the whole shit house is going up in flames. So I, I prefer to think that Donald Trump is name checking uh, Jim Morrison. Yeah, you mean you mean talking about name checking the man that is on a bucket full of drugs and is going to die in like a week and a half in a bathtub in Paris? Yes, that's a great thing for our president to aspire to. I, that's that's what I'm uh, absolutely hoping for. At any rate, <laughs> um, so on the Wednesday of that week, I was on uh, our uh, acquaintance, uh, Michael Malice's uh, uh, compound media show, You're Welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used voluntarily the word uh, shithole to describe the country of Cuba um, <laughs> and was because uh, you're a racist <clears throat> monster. And I was promptly uh, corrected by Malice, and I think uh, uh, properly so. He said, "Don't say, don't say shithole. Uh, say hellhole. It's worse than a shithole. It's, it's worse <laughs> than it's just feeded and bad. It's actually a a man created, uh, uh, you know, authoritarian nightmare where if you're on the wrong side of the ruling regime, your entire life sucks. In addition to being uh, poor and, and un, un, uh, uncleanly and all that kind of stuff, hmm. um, which I uh, uh, fun bit of irony." Um, it, it it should be pointed out, and a lot of I think uh, the, the conservatives and Rich Lowry uh, uh, are making it, and the Tommy Lawrence of the world are like, hey, Haiti is a shithole. What's your problem? Um, that, that there's a difference between uh, Matt Welch going on a Michael Malice show and what a president should say at any private, public, any function um, is one uh, I think a problem with what he said. It's interesting that it this blew up. He was quoted in the New York Times two and a half, three weeks ago um, uh, as saying that (laughs) much, much more like grave thing, as far as I'm concerned, that uh, people from Haiti all have AIDS. Well, yeah, all of the immigrants that had come over from Haiti all had AIDS. AIDS and everyone from Africa, like uh, going back to their huts. Various people from Nigeria um, or perhaps it was some other African country. Once they got to the United States, they would never be willing to go back to their huts. Well, I mean, the the Nigerians in particular, they make so much goddamn money in America. Why would you go back to even to your palace? uh, it, It was reported that he said these things. He has he has forcefully and vehemently denied it. And there are other folks who are in the media right. who also so that's, deny it. That's part of we the reason know. why that story didn't blow up as yeah. much. But those stories were much more targeted towards the individuals uh-huh. in a way that Shithouse story isn't. Yeah. Shithouse could be if you want to be generous uh, in this. And I have no desire to be generous. <laughs> yeah, to I don't Donald know why Trump. you keep saying Shithouse because it's shithole. Oh, sorry. I've, 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 I've crossed the Rubicon here. The shithole thing. Um, Fake news. At least uh, you could say, well, you know, uh, uh, objectively, you can describe a whole bunch of different countries as shitholes. Um, that's not necessarily individually targeted. But it was an interesting moment in which everyone decided that this was the proof all you needed to say that Donald Trump is a racist. And not just that, like Lawrence O'Donnell 
was well, coming out and saying, I have been calling Donald Trump racist since 2010. I stuck my neck out. I, 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 uh, uh, I put my, my, my career on the line. And now all of you people, uh, it, it's not enough that this proves that he's racist. This, that everyone else, you better say, you better agree that he's racist now or else you're racist too. Right. Um, and I, I don't want to go immediately to the Camille Foster place, uh, because I, I, I think that there's a thousand problems specifically with using any words like that, and also with Trump's uh, vision of who is immigrating here and how we should uh, tweak our immigration policy based on that, which is all wrong and which mm-hmm. shithole uh, um, uh, emphasizes his wrongness of the way that he looks at and treats immigration in a problematic way. At, at the same time, I don't think that it's it's the moment to insist that every single person agree with how racist do you think Donald Trump is. But I'll let Moynihan get in here. Yeah, Moynihan, you have a Ph.D. in linguistics. Can you can you talk to us about the uh, etymology of shithole and whether or not it has any racial um, connotations whatsoever? Uh, do I have to? No. OK, because, because <laughs> before I found out from Anthony Fisher, who's who's a pretty clever uh, chap, uh, that that it's an it's an Australian Australian word. Shithouse is an Australian word, which I was unaware of. And uh, I just I want to set the record straight that I do not believe the president was uh, using an Australian locution on that. He was not trying to be like, you know, Dick Deb, and I can't believe it. <laughs> shit house. They're coming out of here from fucking shit houses like Haiti. I don't think that was Josh Zepps. This is Olaf Zepps. My uh, God. What uh, a hands of improv camp down there in Georgia. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, I mean, look, there, we're, are we beyond the point at which we discuss what things are presidential and whether it matters or not. I mean, this this sort of thing, it's not even that it's not presidential. Of course it isn't. But it just every one of these little outbursts, we end up having these detailed conversations about whether or not the phrase itself and being applied as it was to Haiti and, you know, the darkest of Africa. It was like an Evelyn Waugh novel or something. And, and then, of course, he has to make that turn and say, why can't we get people from Norway? Yeah. And the answer to that question is because Norway is really wealthy and they really have no reason to move and they have a sovereign oil fund and, you know, things are pretty good in Norway. Um, but that, of course, sets up the entire race debate, which obscures the greater debate about why on we really should be talking about the effect that this has mm-hmm. on America's relations with the rest of the world. When you have people like Prime Minister Theresa May or you have Angela Merkel and these other people constantly having to go before the lectern, whether this is actually justifiable or not, um, in answer to their own country's media, will you condemn the president of the United States for calling countries shitholes? I mean, you know, we can actually have this conversation. Are these nice places to live? Why are Haitians kind of flooding to the U.S. and and increasingly to Canada rather than staying put? I mean, I don't want to have a debate over the future of Haiti and the political problems that Haiti's had from the, you know, from the dawn of time and the Duvaliers on because Donald Trump is cursing in a meeting with Dick Durbin because he has no idea what's going on. I mean, I I think that this, this idea that, that, you know, should he have said this? Is he racist? OK, you know what? We have an industry of people that want to discuss that issue because mm-hmm. I don't think it's a real issue. But what we should actually uh, be talking about is what the what is the accumulation 
of all of these numb-headed comments that this guy is making. There's a reason that diplomacy exists. There's a reason that it's a word. There's a reason it means something. That the accumulation of all this stuff is really harming America's ability to do lots of things in the world. And one doesn't have to look far to find examples of it. I think that's a, I think that's a fair point. Um, I think actually focusing narrowly on the, the immigration issue is actually useful as well. Um, because lost in all of this are the 800,000 odd people who face the risk of deportation if, in fact, this DACA program is not renewed, the several hundred thousand people who are under this temporary protected status is a consequence of temporary protected status is a, a status that is applied to various people from different countries after a natural disaster happens. So that earthquake in Haiti, temporary protected status was extended. And um, I don't remember exactly what the numbers were, but tens of thousands of people came into the United States after that earthquake happened. And they've been here for, for years now, and not just Haiti. Again, 300,000-odd people from various places around the world. Um, El Salvador, Haiti, it was 46,000 from Haiti. El Salvador, 195,000. Like, all of these people, if, in fact, we don't address this immigration issue, face having their lives completely disrupted. In many cases, the overwhelming majority of cases with like these kids who are um, protected, have DACA protection, this is the only home that they know and remember. Like it's there's something incredible about that for the people who are actually under this temporary protective status. Many of them have been in this country for well over a decade, in some cases, two decades. They own homes here. They work here. They don't have criminal records because of the decisions that the administration has made, specifically the decision to, in all of these cases, to end these programs with pretty narrow windows and essentially say, hey, Congress, fix this if you want to keep these people in this country. These people's lives are in a very uncertain place. Um, and that has been lost in all of this back and forth about whether or not the president is racist and how racist is the president. I mean, it informs I, I think the, the where it's interesting is where where it's potentially interesting is where his mindset and just throw out the R word out, just table it. And I said right now, but uh, there is a mindset on the conservative side that the post 1965 Immigration Act overweighted uh, uh, people from, for lack of better words, shitty countries, um, uh, non-European countries, poor Asian, poor African, poor uh, mm-hmm. Central and South American countries, uh, and that that's a problem that we need to go to the, a merit-based system more like Canada, et cetera. This is a, a, this is a mainstream national review idea, and I think it's wrong. And I think it's always been wrong. The merit-based system is wrong. Yes, I think the merit-based system is wrong. It's this idea, it is actually a very statist idea that we sit, we lord over this market uh, uh, that we can just pluck I like this guy here from China. He's rich. He mm-hmm. invented something. Boop, boop. That's not how it I, the, the, the way that immigration has worked well, in my view. And it's not a mainstream view necessarily, although I think it's more mainstream um, than the Donald Trump view, um, is that it's actually the low skilled immigrants, the people who crawled out of shitholes or non shitholes alike, um, but who fought to get to a better place for themselves, for their families or whatever. And they did all kinds of crap that nobody else wanted to do necessarily, mm-hmm. or they invented crap that didn't exist before. They add as much value as anybody else. Plucking all these sort of uh, theoretical best people uh, right. assumes that there is a list 
of good people and bad people in the world. Like Norwegians are up high on the list. Let's pluck some of those ones. The only one I can think of is Rupert Murdoch when they decided to give him citizenship out of nowhere. You know, um, it, but you know, they, it's much more in the American capitalist Wild West ethos to have people come here and disrupt and create new economies where none existed before. And and it's for me that's where. Uh, Trumpism is totally wrong and ass backwards. Um, it, it, it low skilled immigrants. And that part of the reason why we have illegal immigration to such degrees is that we have an absurd, very low cap on the number of unskilled immigrants from Mexico uh, and from the, the immediate people who can come in from across the border. There's this idea like, oh, you know, they don't have advanced STEM degrees. Like, yeah. They don't. And they want to come here and they want to rock out and do things. That to me is a much more, um, fertile ground to look at where the administration's immigration policies are going, where conservatisms are. And he's doing so much and and is uh, threatening to do so much damage on these lines. First of all, they've already, as we've talked about, I've talked about uh, to, to to boredom almost, they've really slashed the number of refugee intake um, at a time where the worldwide population is uh, grown to a larger degree than we've ever seen. And they got uh, assholes like uh, Tom Cotton and Purdue who are trying to cut and the uh, Coulter vision of the world, trying to cut the number of legal immigrant visas. That's the complete opposite of what I think you should be doing if you're right. really interested in the uh, you know illegal immigration as a problem onto its own. Well, you know, it's interesting because it is that thing. We need to pluck these people from Norway. We need to pluck these people from. And again, if you frame it as a, a race thing, and I'm perfectly happy to do that, too, and kind of explore, you know, what Trump means about this stuff. But I mean, the more interesting thing to Camille's point is that that it, to me, the more interesting thing right now is that this immigration debate, hey, let's get the best and the brightest. Oh, and by the way, we are going to tighten up H-1B visa requirements mm-hmm. because of fraud. And we're yeah. going to make sure that all these people that come and fill, you know, tech companies, you know, in Massachusetts to Silicon Valley have a more difficult time to get here. And you're going to have heads of Indian companies, as you've seen in the past couple of weeks, denouncing the administration for being this kind of in this limbo period where they have no idea what they can do and what the next months kind of pretend for them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, on one hand, it's like we need the smart people, but we don't need the smart people. Because the Indians come in and they drive wages down. So you want high-wage white workers? I don't know what they're trying to uh, accomplish here. And look, I mean, there is a racial element to the immigration debate. Obviously, we all know that. I spoke to a woman in a focus group um, who was a Trump voter about three weeks ago, about a month ago. And she was talking about immigration and she was talking about how Trump was trying to do the right thing in immigration, but he was being thwarted by his own party. And, of course, the treasonous Democrats were doing the same thing to him. And she kept on talking about demographics. And I said to her or somebody else I'll say said to her, um, you know, what do you mean by that? To which her response, and this was a, a room full of people nodding their heads, all of whom were, were Trump voters, um, saying, you know, well, um, you know, we're worried about the jobs and wages. And it's like, well, that's not demographics. And she was she realized what she was saying and she was trying to skirt kind of this issue. And there was a real palpable fear amongst these people of, you know, white people being a minority. Now, the way she framed it was immigrants come in, they get things and they vote for Democrats. It's going to wipe out the Republican Party. Are there other things at play there? Well, obviously there are. But, you know, it is a, a, a racial issue for a lot of people. And I saw that firsthand uh, fairly recently. These were older, um, less affluent white uh, Trump voters and kind of 
you know, Rust Belt and former Rust Belt uh, towns and cities. It's also a cultural issue. I remember going to. Sure, that too. That's Sue, a- and, and that can be that doesn't uh, it cancel out what you said at all. Um, uh, Michelle Malkin, after 9-11, wrote a book uh, defending in defense of internment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went and the idea there was sort of like to rehabilitate the idea that we interned the Japanese because, look, right. we were at war. You you had a quote on the dust jacket, right? I don't. I, an I, idea whose time has come. No, 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 no. <laughs> He's in magazine. No, no, it was Matt yeah, Welch. Getting off war, a good one. Matt Welch war blog. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We are at war, said Matt Welch on September 14th, um, 2001. Uh, no, I went and saw her speak, and it was really illuminating. Uh, this is in maybe 2003, let's say, in uh, Westwood uh, in uh, Southern California. And uh, her, her argument was that, hey, look, we're at war. It's 9-11 now and we got to watch out for the Muslims. And so and we don't really know what's coming over the southern border. It's chaotic. Mm-hmm. There's that. What was that triangle, Moynihan? Do you remember uh, Fisher? The, uh, there's like a special tri- triangle in Brazil where all the Muslim terrorists were. Uh, Al Qaeda was oh, infiltrating the yeah. jungle. Coming across that the was border. a great wow, one. Yeah. Bringing it back. Bringing it way back. This wow. is a serious it way back. War blog. Like Moynihan was still in short pants. Um, <laughs> I was in I had a flat cap on. And I was selling copies of the New York Tribune <laughs> with one eye. It was so weird. It was like, hey, Mac, <laughs> look at this Muslim triangle. And, yeah, that, was, uh, that Mac, was back in the day. Malkin is this tiny person, uh, and she was. Uh, and That's she was, racist. Yeah, it is. By the way. Um, and she was uh, uh, quietly kind of laying out her vision of, uh, you know, uh, we just can't. We don't know who's coming in through the southern border, and it, it could be a, a Muslim, and they could do this damage. It was a very national security heavy thing. It wasn't uh-huh. paranoid. It wasn't about like creeping Sharia law. Yeah, we hadn't it, gotten to that point. We yet. hadn't gotten to that point. It was just sort of like, hey, we don't know who that is. So I was, I was there. I was curious to see what was going on, and really interesting to watch the crowd because they're like, uh huh, uh huh, nodding, and then like the second question was a dude is like. Yeah. And when I drive on the 10 and I get off and I look and I don't all of the signs are not even in English. And everyone's like, yeah. And then suddenly it was it was completely on like every complaint from that point on had zilch all to do with uh, national security. It had to do with I had to press seven to speak English after it went through Tagalog. I am sick of this. It was all a cultural complaint. I really hope that we set immigration policy in the future. By the fact that my Walgreens call is about six seconds longer because someone says <laughs> something about numero uno. I don't know. But it's, and like, it's an Indian that name. That old Steve. argument is my favorite one. Is like it, it started with the ATMs when you could choose Spanish. And if you go, no one ever mentions the other things that in, and Anthony Fisher will know this in Brooklyn and in certain places like Greenpoint, like I think the default language of all the ATMs is Polish. Yeah. <laughs> and it has, you go through the, uh, the language options and it's like Estonian, Polish, <laughs> Hungarian, yeah. and then Spanish in like small letters. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to vote at this point for Kelly Ward. (laughs) Who's making this decision? I'm moving to Arizona and I'm going to, you know, make America great again because of this menu. But no, I mean, that there are all these kind of subterranean things that, that people, when they don't have literally the sort of rhetorical skill that some politicians do to hide it. And, and, you know, sort of, sort of, you know, they keep, they keep like in this example, they kept on saying demographics mm-hmm. when they were trying to cloak it in this, you know, we care about, uh, you know, the, this having a, a depressive effect on wages, et cetera. But, you know, at the end of the day, the, the only word that was repeated 60 times in that soliloquy, it was demographics. Well, I, 
I just to bring this back to Donald Trump to the shithole because the world is a shithole. You know, I've been wanting to say that because there's that war song, The World is a Ghetto, which is a classic yeah. song. I and mean, there's a, a go-go adaptation of it as well. And The World is a Shithole just seems to fit nicely with that. And if you think about the whole world as a shithole, then you don't feel quite so bad about the president using the word in various contexts. Yeah, I don't Everyone feel, understand I, I, how wonderful that is. The I, observation that I'm making. It's just that Not ghetto really. is a beautifully percussive word in a way that shithole isn't. Yeah, so, like, you're right. It, it is. Loses it's it. guttural it's harsh, in a different sort yeah, of way. Um, but, you know, it's Shout funny. Out to Mac Davis. So much of the conversation has been about. Um, whether or not shithole in this context was racist. And I'm, I'm actually not going to weigh in on this because in various ways for anyone who's listened to this podcast long enough, um, you will find my perspective on this somewhat disinteresting. Um, <laughs> but I do think there's something, um, really important about focusing on the substance of the policy on offer from the Trump administration, at least what they have sort of theoretically been in support of. And Matt, I mean, you were talking a bit about um, the merit-based system, and this is this point system that the Trump administration has been supportive of in the past. Um, I believe it was like the cotton legislation from before and your age, education, English ability, um, whether or not you have a job offer, if you've gotten a Nobel Prize or perhaps won some sort of Olympic medal, that you get points on the basis of these kinds of criteria. Um, I am someone who is generally in favor of open borders, etc. Um, but I know that most Americans aren't. And it is likely there's going to be some criteria for letting people into the country. So the question of, about the sort of efficacy um, in terms of uh, a great productive U.S. economy that is striped, that is strong and that is just chugging along, like whether or not a merit based system versus sort of the current system, which I wouldn't call it a chain migration system. The the fact that you can kind of bring over family members, that sort of works in some circumstances. Our system is way more convoluted and pretty, ass backwards. Pretty than hard that. to bring in family. Members, um, it's it's, it's not, all kinds of screwed up. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know if that's an improvement or not. Um, under the constraint that someone somewhere is going to be putting restrictions on who can cross the United States border. But it seems to me that that is something that is very much worth debating on the merits, as is sort of the underlying ethos of the Trump approach to immigration. There is a fundamental ideology underlying all of it. And a lot of people will think, oh, he's talking about racism. Well, no, I mean, it's just it's naked protectionism. It's the belief that importing low in, low skilled people is actually harmful to the U.S. economy, that allowing those people to come here creates a sort of competition with U.S. based workers that is unhealthy for the U.S. economy. That is something that we can debate on the merits, at least theoretically. And it's, and, some, and it's something that don't, the Bernie Sanders of the world. Uh, they also agree. With, with most Absolutely. Of yeah. um, so the, but, 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 that's but, the question but, that we actually need to get into. And quite frankly, we aren't talking about that and we're not really talking about much of anything um except for shitholes since well, one, last week. one important point about the way that it's that the the trump point of view would argue that you know um immigrants from shitholes would be a drag on the economy is that they are inherently lazier they are they have lower who's, who's lazier the, the the immigrants that they that they have lower IQs that they will be uh, they will be a drag on the economy. Are you reading because, from some Trump press release? Uh, from the uh, the the arguments that put forth by the the big thinkers in his universe are are that they are 
they will be a drag on the economy because they it, it, you have a twofold. You have they will take the the low skilled jobs uh-huh. from the Native Americans, uh, and they will also be on welfare longer than other immigrants. There, there is, and just to point out here, there is actually one argument that is not compelling. I don't find it compelling, but I find it interesting, and I find a number of people who have made kind of. Uh, you know, you know, reasonable arguments about it and have produced data about it is not so much about people are lazy or they, they, they become, you know, welfare queens from, from Haiti or Nairobi or something, whatever Trump is talking about and the people in his universe are. But it's mostly that the downward effect it has on wages. And that's, that's the only argument that I find to be fairly interesting and nuanced because it's not something you just dismiss by, by saying, you know, it, with an ethical wave of the hand is that I think it's great when people, you you know, I, I, I think it's insane, actually, that, that the, the way Syrians have been, been demonized and thought to be this, this um, shall I say, uh, fifth column that is going to come in and blow <laughs> things up. I mean, that's an entirely separate sort of type of column. argumentation. Yeah. And an entire, you know, but what, what the, the downward effect and pressure that it has on wages is something, of course, that is believed by people like you know, Bernie Sanders, by people mm-hmm. like Canadian immigrant David Frum, by people like, you know, Donald Trump and Mark Krikorian and all these people. And, you know, there, there's a lot of people on a lot of sides and they can all be wrong. Mm-hmm. But there is an argument that it does have a slight downward pressure on wages and put a downward pressure on wages. But it's 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 minimal. Mm-hmm. There's other people that say, hey, no, this is actually a serious – those are the things that we should be talking about. Yeah, I, mean, and, those, I think that's the real issue. And to, and to, uh, and to, pile on, uh, to add on to that, um, that literature is, is contested. It's interesting. There's either a slight uh, downturn or there's not much of an effect or there's a slight uptick. Um, but for me, what becomes persuasive – you know, in that uh, 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 argumentation is that um, people who are worried about this, the Ralph Nader, Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump, Mark Corian view, they all are treating the question of the economy as a pie that has a fixed border. It's a 12 inch pie. That pie can't be 13 inches and immigrants of all uh, uh, varieties, um, but low, uh, low skilled immigrants as much as anyone else, if not more, they grow the pie. They, they start their own crap. I mean, when I was an illegal immigrant in uh, Czechoslovakia, I started a business. That's what illegal immigrants do. I'm here. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I miss burritos. Uh, this, I mean, there's so many lousy Mexican food places in, in Central Europe in 1993. You were there uh, for that post-communist did you, did you welfare state. burrito <laughs> I, I, I didn't, but like, uh, like there's like a, a dozen, I'm not even making this up, there's probably a dozen super crappy uh, Mexican food joints started by hippie Californians who never thought they would start a business in their entire life simply because they uh, they had they'd lost their minds, they missed burritos so much. Wait, wait, just, just to be clear, yeah. and you can get back to your point, yeah. Matt. I want to point this out. There are illegal immigrants from the United States of America in a country who had just suffered a 50 years of communism appropriating Mexican food for the newly liberated Czechs. Absol- Do I have that right? Absolutely, yes. This is okay. uh, this Just is wanted to make 100% sure. Now get true. back to your point. <laughs> uh, the, uh, another one is that you will find the biggest uh, place right now where there are illegal immigrants, Americans, in a foreign country. Where is that? It's Mexico. It's not even close. Go to uh, San Miguel de Allende, where it, which is famous, Moynihan, because... Where I wasn't even listening. I was looking at the San, San Miguel. <laughs> get your hand off your penis. San Miguel de Allende is a famous Mexican town for what? Re, what? What historical curious reason? 
Moynihan? Um, it's a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not. It's like nicer Whoa. than like Taos. It says uh, voted best no, city no, in the world. Mexico's lovely, by the way. No, I, I was, that was a joke. I know. People love <laughs> San, whatever. No, whatever. no. It's totally the, reason why I, the reason why I posed that as a trivia question for Moynihan is because I forgot the exact detail. I think it's where like Trotsky uh, finally got iced. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I got, got the pickaxe in his eye. And literally voted world's best city by travel and leisure last year. Yeah, you know what it's filled with? It's filled with... It? It's yeah. filled with. I went to a destination wedding Communist? there there ten years ago. Yes, it is. It's filled with gray ponytailed American senior citizen illegal immigrants <laughs> who go down there uh, and they, maybe they touch back. Sometimes they, they they don't. They get their social security checks and they chill out. They have all these different businesses that are set up for sixty eight year old gray <laughs> gray ponytail American there. Um, uh, and there's there's something like more than a million. Americans total who live in Mexico, uh, uh, even uh, uh, to this day. But anyways, illegal immigrants, legal immigrants, low skilled immigrants, they they grow the pie is is the point. And so that that for me t- turns the complicated, nuanced question of the effect on the lowest uh, scale uh, on the economic scale of the, their wages in America um, says to me, like, it's it's worth it um, to have that because this becomes the engine. This is the reason why we get to have more jobs, period, and a place like Japan, which is hostile to immigrants and now wishes probably that they had some, uh, doesn't grow and becomes a less interesting and less vibrant place as a result. Well, I want to I want to pivot to this uh, sex panic stuff um, uh, for the week. Um, but before we do, I mean, it is, it is MLK day today, um, which means LeBron James is playing Steph Curry in basketball. Um, and we can all think about, um, you know, the legacy of Dr. King. When did they start with that respect tradition? to basketball the, uh, sneakers? The Steph LeBron uh, MLK. Is that like a three, I, I three years running? Like three years running now, right? <laughs> That's great. I was, because That's I was totally out right. in Oakland when the game was in Oakland last year. Um, and this year it's, it's in, in the Cleveland. second row. Um, it wasn't the second row. It was the first fucking row. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was behind. Look at you. I was, I was behind the scores, the scores table. Like waving. <laughs> I was behind the scorers table. I've got great pictures. I'll post them on Instagram. Um, but, uh. Behind the scores, that sounds like second row to me, but go on. It's not really second row. That's a floor seat. I mean, it's a floor seat. All right. But at any rate, um, the, I wanted to take a quick shot at, um, What's his name? Charles Blow um, at the New York Times, who wrote a, a piece, Trump is a racist, period, period, period. I feel like I'm having deja vu. Yeah. Trump is a racist. <laughs> like literally like about yeah. Charles, you and Charles Blow. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that that's racist um, but, as well. Know, fifth columnist check past episodes. We had a conversation about uh, we, Charles Blow. <laughs> we, we've, we've almost certainly talked about Charles Blow. Um, I found this article to be really, really stupid and not because of the argument he's making about Trump being a racist. This is one of the many declarations that's been made in relation to the shithole thing. But I'm set shithole gate aside and just <laughs> contemplate the language in this in this piece. Um, racism and racist are simply words that have definitions and Trump comfortably and unambiguously meets those definitions. Racism is just a word. Nothing to see here. We're just using it. And anyone who gets bent out of shape about this is part of the problem. Um, he goes on to say we have to stop thinking. By the way, just to interrupt quickly, that's Go. not it's not true. Of either. course it's I mean, not. I'm going they, they I'm are, going they there. Are, I'm sure you're getting to that point. But, <laughs> I mean, they are words that have many definitions to many people. Absolutely. Continue, yeah. And he, and he goes on to say um, we have to stop thinking that we can somehow separate what racists believe from how they will behave. So it's not just a word. It's this. These people are terrible. Um, we must stop believing that any of Trump's actions are a clear, 
of the venom coursing through his convictions. Every Trump is a racist. Everything he does is racist. And this is the final turn, the one that is actually a little terrifying. Um, we have to stop giving a pass to the people, whether elected, official or average voter who support or defend his racism. If you defend racism, you are part of the racism. It doesn't matter how much you say that you're an egalitarian, how much you say that you are race blind, how much you say that you are only interested in people's policies and not their racist polemics. Um, translation is, even if you suggest that this isn't racist, that I disagree with your assessment of who is racist, you are part of the problem. This isn't racism and racist are not just words. It, this is magic. It, uh, it, it is literally alchemy. This <laughs> was uh, this was a weird turn in all of this kind of stuff in, in this uh, the last five days that the desire to police language and police the way other people use language. I've got absolutely no problem with anyone concluding that Donald Trump is racist. I think you got some evidence to, to work with. You got, there's some material in that clay. I, my, uh, you know, my conclusion, who knows what that would be, but you know, I'm not going to say that Camille, well, it would never be Camille, but that, that Fisher or Moynihan, uh, can't, are wrong to conclude that Donald Trump is racist. That's a, that's something that one might conclude. There's a bunch of stuff to make you think that that might be true. Um, but that was not nearly enough for so many people. I sat next to, uh, did, uh, Sirius XM with an unnamed, uh, pundit. Um, last week, and that was all he wanted to talk about was how if people don't, all of us say that Trump is definitively racist, then they're all racist. The, the, the Republican Party has been racist. It always has been racist. That's it. It is a vehicle for racism. Um, and it's just a weird, I think, tick to want to uh, uh, kind of demand that everyone come to your exact same conclusion. It's, it's not a tick. It's something totalitarian and scary about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, it's not a, you know, it's not a tick. Let me just say quick, quickly there, I, I'll say this is that I do think it's useful to examine this stuff. And it's, I, I, you know, I, I can't believe we're having the discussion. Uh, you know, is the president a boorish racist? Um, I prefer not to have those discussions in the 21st century, but we are having that discussion. And is it an important discussion? Of course it is. But I, I would, the one caveat I, I would say here was, you know, how quickly these conversations devolve into is he a racist, isn't he a racist? And Charles Blow's headline of like, he's a racist, period. And this is everyone saying this of like, you know, get over it. He's a racist. There's no debate about this. He's a racist. I see this constantly. And the problem I think that, that I have with it, and I guess maybe why it makes me grimace a little bit is because the world of social media in this kind of constant call out culture, which, you know, you know, extends uh, to the president and I don't think that those that's something that we should do to, to the president. Now, let me explain that. I don't want to call him out like you call out some other, you know, moron on Twitter. I mean, what what this ends up being is I think we should have this debate in a more substantive one rather than just like, you know, hey, losers, he's a racist. Get over it. Um, I don't think that that's useful. And I hate to be constantly policing in this conversation what I believe to be useful. But it, it becomes this this kind of not virtue signal isn't the right phrase, but it becomes this kind of moral cudgel. And rather than actually having a conversation, we're debate, we're shouting, but he's a race. People feel good about it. They feel good that they're denouncing somebody for this, for this hideous uh, activity, which, you know, he is or he isn't. I mean, 
that's again, I mean, what are we what are we doing? We're taking this evidence of things that Donald Trump has said over the years. And is the man racially enlightened? Good. I don't think there's anybody on Earth that would say that. No, he's certainly not. Exactly. Well, no, Donald Trump would say that. And uh, yeah, well, he's 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 said multiple times that he's the least racist person in the world. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I think that there's this kind of joy that people get in it. It's not debate. It's not conversation. It's just this like, you know, being able to shout in this chorus, along with everybody else, mm-hmm. the president is racist. And I'm not. And again, whether it is true or not, and it's a very important caveat before, you know, you clip the words out of context, is that whether it's true or not, I, I find it sort of increasingly irritating that it's I, I see this just constant thing on social media, online, even in longer pieces, is that the isms are these denunciations that are maybe followed by some marshalling of evidence. And again, not saying that there isn't in the case of Donald Trump, but I see it as kind of a larger part of a trend in which these are the words that we that are in the front of our brain, on the tip of our tongue. And the first thing that we want to say is is just to denounce these people out there. So this person's racist, this person's a sexist, this person's blah, blah, blah. And I think it, it, it has has contracted debate in such a way that we get derailed by, like, how could you dare think X point? How could you dare think this other point? And I know we're going to get to the kind of recent Me Too stuff, but there's so much of this in that, mm-hmm. too. And again, to be very clear about this, I'm not adjudicating whether or not Donald Trump is a racist. I'll leave that for other people to do. But, you know, we see with Margaret Atwood and all of these things of, like, can you believe this person has this opinion to me is part of the same kind of, you know, lurch towards, you know, let's get on with the denunciation, denounce the person and then actually have no substantive conversation after it. Yeah. Well, let's let's jump to the Me Too stuff. Um, We uh, weren't around, so we missed a lot of the Golden Globes stuff. We didn't have an opportunity to talk about uh, Oprah Winfrey's speech, which was in the eyes of many. Um, although almost certainly not at all true, uh, a speech that seemed to indicate just how presidential she could be. Um, well, you know who has always thought she's presidential? Who's that? Donald Trump. Yeah. Oh, he repeatedly right? floated her around as potential running mate material. Huh. Well, yeah, you should have had her. That would have been an interesting. I mean, the situation right now would be so much more interesting. And so he ended up with Omarosa. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that bounce, was and well, that her. was that was his shield against uh, accusations of racism. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, we we missed that, and I I wanted to make a joke about like you told Harpo to beat me as the campaign slogan for Oprah's presidential campaign, but Dude. I figured it might Dude. fall flat. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna leave that alone. Also, in the context of like the Me Too thing, it also seems wildly inappropriate. Maybe, uh, maybe just drop the YouTube clip in right now. Yeah, <laughs> you told Hoppo to beat me. I like how um, but, uh, Me Too became Times yes. Up. That's the point. Yeah, Me mm-hmm. Too became Times Up. Um, and around the globes, however, um, apparently one Aziz Ansari, a comedian gentleman who was on, um, what was he on? Um, Parks, Parks and Recreation. Rec, and he also has a new show on Netflix that won a bunch of awards. Um, so he's kind of a big deal. Um, and apparently he hooked up with some chick um, after a Emmy Award party. And she didn't like it and said he acted inappropriately. And after they performed various sexual acts on one another and spent an evening together, she sent him a text message letting him know how uncool it was for him to apply pressure in the circumstance and 
it became an extensive, really long um, internet post, uh, which has now kind of broken the internet a little bit, become news in and of itself, and actually resulted in a response uh, from Aziz um, to this current panic. Um, I'll leave it there and sort of open it up for conversation because I, I know all of us have taken a look at this. I felt dirty having read 40% of the story and I shut it down and uh, and stopped reading it. Um, it was after uh, some detail about you know, the, what he how he puts his fingers in a V shape and does this and that. And it's like this. It wasn't going to get to the point in which there was not consent. And I know there's a lot of triple negatives there, but like. It was a consensual encounter that she felt bad about afterwards. And I'm sure um, I'm sure I'm not even speculating that, um, you know, coming out of a unhappy sexual experience that was consensual, one feels unhappy. Yes, that is that is part that's of that's a thing that can that's happen. a part of the thing. And but I was it's reading not this, always a thing that happens. It's, it, it, it very rarely happens as far as I know. Um, but uh, it, it, that's the thing that happens. Why the fuck was I reading this story? Mm -hmm. This is uh, this was, uh, uh, I think, a a journalistic murder. It was a terrible story. It should not have been published in anything um, like a reputable uh, 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 news organization. The reading this was like, I don't know if we ever ended up talking about this um, on the show, uh, but the uh, the New Yorker story that everyone was talking about for uh, that was similar. It was, it was kind of like a about a hookup between cat person, cat person, yeah, yeah between yeah. a woman and a nerd at a at a movie theater, and they they had uh, talked to each other mostly via text. Um, and then, you know, she, she was filled with regrets about their yeah. – uh, And now she's got a seven-figure uh, book deal based on that. Seven figures, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know what that was? It was a work of fiction. So at least it was a work of fiction that got you talking and that didn't go after someone's reputation who is a real existing person um, in what was – by all by the account that I – the 40 percent that I saw, I am not going to invite Aziz to date my daughter when she becomes of age or anyone that I would know or anything like that. Hmm. Um, but uh, this should not have been written. This is a woman who's complaining high up in the story about how she really wanted to drink, I think, red wine. And then, you know, he sort of like really wanted the white uh, and that like that was going to that was going to be a big deal. To, <laughs> are you shitting me? Is this the level that we're at right now? Um, you know, she goes to famous guys. Uh, apartment. She's clearly pretty psyched that I'm with famous guys. She's 22, I think, at the time. He's in 30 something. Um, and like, uh, Caitlin Flanagan at The Atlantic had a very, very interesting, worth reading piece. I don't agree with all of it. I think, I think her reaction against it was, is a good deal stronger than mine would be. Uh, and by necessity, she's, I think both more kind of conservative in temperament than I am. And she's also a woman. She's talking about issues of uh, women's agency in a way that I just obviously can't like understand on some basic level. Um, but one of the things that she said that I think is really interesting to deal with, it's more interesting than the, that her headline was about the ritual humiliation or something like that of Aziz Ansari. Um, but she starts her piece with kind of an extended uh, reflection that as someone uh, nearing the age of 50, and I that feel that hits home, um, you know, seeing in this moment in particular, 
people talk about um, uh, sort of just the, the the mores around sexual behavior, about gender roles and all this kind of stuff, you feel like you're an alien from another planet. Like it's just it's it is so far removed from back when you were in the game. And it's just you you don't know how to do that. That's, that is an interesting confession. And I think that that actually uh, colors a lot of the way that people are process, processing uh, these different things. It colors the way that Catherine Deneuve, who wrote this uh, um, uh, it's kind of petition letter in France that American feminists are all up in arms against, uh, uh in which she said, Hey, look, me too's kind of going too far. Um, it, you know, we shouldn't be punishing men who are clumsy. Uh, basically, uh, she didn't like say we shouldn't be punishing Glenn Thrush, but she might as well have said this. And I'm sorry to, to chuckle, but whatever. Um, uh, uh, that's what I felt like this is. This is we need to be able to have a language that can sort um, from consensual mishaps um, and do it in a way that doesn't actually name and shame human beings, regardless of whether they're famous or powerful or not. Uh, it just felt totally, totally wrong to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with this catastrophe. I mean, the first place I begin is, Matt, you can rest easy when you say that a piece like this should have never been published in a reputable journalistic outlet. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah. It was published on babe.net, which one would presume is some sort of adult website. I would, when my wife sent me the link, I was totally sure it was porn. I can't remember who uh, said this is um, like revenge porn in a way. Um, and, and it, it sort of It sort of reads like that. But there's a few things... Um, that I took away from this really foul piece. I, I, I mean, you know, I couldn't believe when I got to the end of this and the woman said, um, I had to look this up. It, uh, it, it took a really long time for me to validate this yes. as sexual assault. Validate now, is such a good word. <laughs> validate is a great word because, I mean, it gives you kind of a little, a little look into the mind of someone like this is this language of, you know, all this new language of validating something as sexual assault. I mean, I don't think that's what the police do when they're, when they're looking at evidence. So they're not saying, we're going to validate this as sexual assault. But of course, the first thing that pops into my mind is if what happened, and again, this is kind of like the auto warm beer thing that, that we talked about one time. We're presuming that this account is true because she's the one who told it. I, I don't know how much credibility uh, she has, but we I mean, again, in in her defense, she didn't uh, go further than than what she wrote, which she didn't claim that she was raped or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're, we're just trusting this anonymous woman. So a woman who um, felt like something was sexual assault, um, which by most people's reading of this, and I've talked to many people about this in the past like week or five days since it came out, um, you know, doesn't even come close to rising to, to that phrase. Of course, the question you have to ask is if what happened to her was sexual assault, what do you call a rape victim who is held down? and violently attacked by someone um, in that, you know, there are degrees of this stuff, of course. But the fact that we are collapsing this experience that she had with Aziz as sexual assault in the same way that the 14-year-old who is, you know, sitting in Roman Polanski's hot tub so many years ago would be the victim of sexual assault, I find vulgar. And I find it, I find it an insult to, to people who have been uh, sexually assaulted because I don't, I, you know, I don't believe in many, many people, including Caitlin Flanagan or, or Barry Weiss, who has a piece on the New York Times, which is currently the most read piece on the New York Times website, have, you know, said, look, 
The problem with this stuff, too, is that it subverts everything. Or this is my opinion. I don't know if Barry read this, but it subverts that everything that first, second, third, fourth wave feminists traditionally were trying to fight against, which was the idea that women don't have agency, that they cannot, you know, speak up for themselves, that they are shrinking violets, and that, you know, Aziz Ansari um, made the mistake of not being Rasputin and not being able to read somebody's mind and say that maybe she wasn't, you know, super comfortable with X, Y, and Z. Um, if you think that this is a simplification of, of what, what she wrote, uh, please go ahead and read it. But the fact that this woman also is allowed anonymity, I find a little unseemly too. If you're going to, you know, greatly affect somebody's career, and there's a lot of people that, you know, might not hire him after this, not because they think that this story is, you know, particularly yeah. egregious, yeah. but that the name is out there and has been tainted and they don't want to be associated with it, especially at this time. If he's losing work because of this and, you know, this is a very, very vague accusation and this person gets anonymity, which is what traditionally we granted to whom? Sexual assault victims. And that is justifiably so. And but when we collapse sexual assault victims into people like this, they are granted anonymity to destroy some or attempt to destroy somebody's reputation. And, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen in this case. This might be one of those predicted turning points in and uh, maybe a me too overcorrection, not to say that there wasn't a need for it. And, and that's not what I'm saying at all. But this stuff that has gone so far in this other direction, I'm, you know, really alarmed by. I mean, remember this, and one final point about this. Remember the UVA hoax, um, the woman who was, uh, said she was gang raped at a University of Virginia fraternity uh, and a Rolling Stone story that, that resulted in this woman never writing again and the Rolling Stone being sued, etc. The woman was granted anonymity for the story because she was a victim of a horrendous sexual assault. Um, she still has that, that uh, anonymity. People have not dug around, revealed her name. Rolling Stone never has. The court filings uh, never have either. And yeah, I, I am a little, would be a little nervous if her name was really out there uh, because of I feel bad for people who get this horrible trolling online, whether or not they did something wrong. I, I think this, this terrible, you know, mass shaming culture out there, which really, which really bugs me. But at the same time, it allows people to take that risk and say something that might not be true and get that cloak of invisibility for the rest of their life, despite the fact that, you know, I mean, the guy from the, the case at Columbia University, um, the, the, the German kid um, who was accused uh, by Emma Sulkowitz. His name is out there and any time, you know, and I don't want to go into the details of whether he's guilty or not, but any time he applies for a job, Columbia University found him not guilty. His name is out there. And I, I even know it. It's Paul Nuskasser. And this woman's prospects who, who um, defamed a fraternity, almost destroyed a, a journalistic institution, uh, et cetera, that was their own fault. But this woman it will, it gets, to, gets to move on with her life um, despite that. I don't know where I come down on this, but – I do think that this granting of anonymity to people 
is is dangerous and it's it, it's frightening. There was there was one thing about this uh, Aziz story that reminded me so much of what Lena Dunham wrote about her, what she described as her own rape in her memoir, where she named uh, a guy named Barry who was a Republican at Oberlin. And apparently there was a guy named Barry who was a Republican at Oberlin and he couldn't there couldn't have been two. Right? Because there, yeah. there aren't no, there aren't two Republicans at Oberlin, much less the Republicans named Barry. And the story as she described it, it was there are similarities to the story that is being described about Aziz Ansari's clumsy efforts at seduction and bad sex. Um, and it was in and similarly, Lena Dunham says she didn't see it as sexual assault at the time. She only saw it as sexual assault the the next day when she regretted it and talked to her friends. And this is kind of the reverse of that in that Lena Dunham didn't she she's she's out there. She's making this accusation and later claimed it, this this guy. This guy was a character. It was an amalgam, uh, but it wasn't. And they actually had to print a retraction and a correction in future editions of the book. Like yeah. re- rename Barry to uh, Grace. <clears throat> well, I, I won't extend this too much further. I um, uh, want to commend to everyone listening Andrew Sullivan's uh, phenomenal uh, piece from the 12th, last Friday. Um, it is, it's time to resist the excesses of Me Too. Um, really, really, really good. Um, and covers a, a number of the themes that we've discussed here. Um, also worth noting that Aziz, in his full statement, um, closes it out by saying um, that uh, the next day he got a text from the girl saying that it seemed um, that although it may have seemed OK, upon further reflection, she felt uncomfortable. It was true that everything did seem OK to me. So when I heard that it was not the case for her, I was surprised and concerned. I took her words to heart and responded privately after taking the time to process what she said. I continue to support the movement. That is happening in our culture. It is necessary and long overdue. Um, I, I, I sort of wish his response to this was, this is some bullshit. Um, but that's just me. And I, I have to admit that at, at this point, the, the, my inclination is to push back very hard against this entire thing. Um, which is not to say that there aren't people who have been sexually assaulted, but to insist that there ought to be a standard, that there has to be a protocol and procedure, and that the presumption of innocence isn't something that we should discard because sexual assault is a more difficult thing to adjudicate in a court of law or in in any circumstance, quite frankly. Um, those underlying values still matter. They matter under every circumstance. They matter for the victims. They matter for accusers. And they certainly matter for the accused. Um, and I, I do I have a, a, a very serious problem with uh, conflating all of these things together. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't I don't feel like I need to apologize for any of that. Do you prefer the uh, James Franco version with Stephen Colbert? I don't know if any of you guys saw that, but like he was um, it was the, the, the ultimate trap is the Me Too button on the dude at uh-huh. the Golden Globes. Yeah. like, ah, I saw him the with the time, Me Too time's button. Time's up was his button. Yeah. Oh, or time's up. Sorry. Yeah, I'd say yeah. it was, that was uh, how it all uh, it's shifted. Hard, hard to keep up with the uh, hashtag advocacy. Franco there. goes up, accepts his, his award, and then he gets a hit on uh, Twitter and elsewhere by Ali Sheedy. Um, and uh, I think at least one other woman uh, with accusations that he 
I, I, I don't know the exact language. It was no rape, but I think it was like, you know, he, he pushed me too hard or sexual assault. And so he went on Stephen Colbert the next night and it's gruesome to watch because Colbert is like, you know, do you want to respond to this stuff? And, you know, he could have done Camille. He could have said, of course, he's got an Oscar campaign. Camille doesn't right now. So <laughs> that's kind of a, that's kind of a problem. Um, like it, the, the word, like I didn't do it. That's not a long sentence. He yeah. like, it's the worst stoner ramble. You if someone might have had the feeling that, like, and I really love the movement but, but and the support. The, you know, that's the common response now is that the thing is, is covering all your bases. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, you know, we're all guilty of throat clearing probably a little too much about this stuff when I think it should be kind of obvious that none of us would support, uh, you know, sexual assault. But you have to constantly say, look, I'm questioning kind of the the – not the narrative so much as the methods here. And I want to make sure that you understand that I am not because you're going to get dragged on on Twitter for saying the wrong thing or uttering the wrong syllable. And it's this terror that infl that that sort of overwhelms you. I mean, you know your own feelings about these things, but communicate in the right and the perfect way. The second you step on the wrong syllable, you step in a landmine, you blow your leg off and you you're desperately try not to do that. But I wonder if the number of people who have actually pushed back on these allegations, what percentage of them would privately express their displeasure with the accusation or the way it's being handled in the way that they publicly do it. I would say about 0%. <laughs> I mean, you think that you think ben, ben Affleck is, is going to give the same yeah. uh, tenor of voice? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone's saying, well, you know, I, I like, look, the Al Franken thing was, was fairly interesting. And it's, 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 it's the model you see for a lot of these things is like, I respect these women for, you know, their right to come out and say and to talk about this in an important moment. But by the way, they're all fucking liars. I mean, that's essentially what that statement was. And what so many of these statements are is that you have to do the requisite thing about the importance of the moment and that I'm an ally and all that stuff. And then very gingerly call the person who is about to ruin your life or your career if it is not true. Um, and if it, was, if it is undeserved, you have to be very careful about how you denounce them. Uh, it's a very unique time for that. I mean, you would say that if someone was setting you up or telling you that, you know, creating some false panic against you and, you know, or a friend or whatever, that you would be full throated in your condemnation of this. But the culture is as such now that, that one has to weigh the, res the public response, how your fans will respond, how Twitter is going to respond, because ultimately on Twitter is that how many stories have, you know, all of you seen in the past two months that effectively amount to somebody on Twitter said something and that person doesn't have to have the blue check. They don't have to be a famous person. You find four of them in a Twitter search and you say, here's the outrage. It's almost and I always wonder why. I can't create a story by I'm in Atlanta right now, leaving my hotel room, finding four people in Atlanta to say something, writing it down in my notebook and getting this. Oh, my God, look at this trend that's going on. So you have to guard against all this stuff at all time and you cannot win. So coming out and saying, the, if, you know, if someone's lying about you, that this person's a liar because of the nature of the charge, there's no way for you to even say that without saying I honor you lying about me. Yeah. 
we've been we've been going for a little while. I wanted to quickly I don't know if we need to get into a conversation about it, but at least acknowledge um, that the uh, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act is being renewed again, or at least they're trying to renew it again. Last week, it passed the House. There was an attempt by uh, Congressman Justin Amash, who is a friend of this podcast, although he hasn't been on the podcast. Yeah, I don't know how friendly that is. Let's do something about that. Um, but at any rate, he was uh, pursuing something called the USA Rights Act, which he uh, he hoped to amend, he hoped to use to amend the FISA um, authorization, particularly um, the se- Section 702 authority, which is particularly controversial um, because it allows for certain kinds of surveillance of international communications, exp- including ones that involve U.S. citizens talking to people who are in foreign countries. Um, and there have been a lot of questions about abuses of these programs. As all of you listening know, um, that USA Rights Act did not manage to pass. FISA was, in fact, uh, reauthorized by the House, at least. This this passed the House, and it still needs to go to the Senate. Um, but what's important is that the FISA provisions um, in question here were actually strengthened um, as this passed the House, that in certain circumstances where the concern before was that the federal government would be hoovering up all of this information and be have the ability to, one, potentially just abuse this massive trove of communications between American citizens and other parties um, for any sort of nefarious purpose. If you work at the NSA and you just want to look up your ex-wife and see who she's talking to, you could do that. That would be a problem. But also various government entities who are not the NSA, like, say, the FBI, who are investigating some other crime, would be able to just call the NSA without a warrant and perhaps get access to this information. Um, Under other circumstances, there are supposed to be protections. It's been pretty made pretty clear that those protections aren't always adequate. The current renewal actually expands the circumstances under which these various other government agencies can get access to the same NSA data. This actually makes the problem worse. Um, the American Civil U- Liberties Union actually put out a statement afterwards um, and described the fact that the House was actually voting to give President Trump and his administration more spying power. Um, this isn't just Republicans. Nancy Pelosi helped to get this damn thing passed as well. She has been a long-standing supporter of FISA and the controversial 702 provisions. Um, and this is much to the chagrin of a hell of a lot of Democrats and progressives who have, in fact, been forcefully pushing back against this, um, along with uh, some uh, some libertarian folk. Um, it goes to the Senate. Um, Senator Rand Paul, Republican, and Senator Ron Wyden are threatening a filibuster over this. There are also some reports that there might be some Senate shenanigans to try to avoid the filibuster. But this is a pretty big deal, um, and it's worth talking about. Also worth mentioning that when Senator Rand Paul went to do Meet the Press this past weekend, he did a nine-minute hit on Meet the Press, not a single question about the filibuster that was pending. The entire conversation was all about shithole gate, which is totally ridiculous. I was on but, uh, MSNBC that that day when, when this vote went down. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I was on the one o'clock hour with Craig Melvin, who's great, um, uh, obviously a fan of the fifth column. Um, and uh, all day long on MSNBC, here's how they played this story about 702 being reauthorized. 
oh, my God, can you believe that Trump was so disorganized that he tweeted in the morning skepticism about 702 and then 90 minutes later kind of cleaned it up and maybe somebody else wrote it uh, because he was reacting to Judge Andrew Napolitano uh, being on Fox and Friends and looking into the camera and telling the president, if you don't like the Russian investigation, you shouldn't do this. Like Napolitano almost snuck one in there. <laughs> Hats off to the attempt. Um, no, they played it for for uh, uh, LOLs uh, that the uh, that the president you know created chaos on Capitol Hill, which he absolutely did not. This vote didn't depend on that. Nobody changed their vote because of the president's tweets on that morning. But that's always a much more interesting thing for them to talk about. And thankfully, at least I had some space to say. And by the way, 55 fucking Democrats voted yes mm-hmm. to make this thing that all Democrats or, you know, uh, the good ones or, you know, and, and good uh, civil libertarians were squawking about since the Edward Snowden revelations of 2013. Um, that all that went out the window. No one's talking about the fundamental issue of that thing of that we shouldn't surveil Americans without a search warrant and we shouldn't uh, permit loopholes to go around that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, and that was it. That was for, for, the, for the most part I, I saw on Twitter. People were watching MSNBC throughout the entire primetime hour, searching in vain for anyone to point out that this wouldn't have happened if Democrats would have supported Justin Amash's and Thomas Massey's bill. Mm-hmm. And this wouldn't have happened if they would have just voted no, if they cared about civil liberties enough to exercise what power that they had, they could have uh, collaborated with that caucus there. Um, so it's uh, it's uh, a perfect encapsulation of the shallowness of uh, not just the shallowness of uh, the political moment here, but the lack of connective tissue. The same people who spend all day long fixating on this president and the powers that he had took a little time out to give him more power <laughs> and then made the story about him. Mm-hmm. How the fuck do you do that? That takes talent. Well, I mean, it is important to point out that, that you know, the president um, – is a moron <laughs> a couple times a day because the Washington Post reported, I mean, the, the flip flop kind of tweet thing, which, you know, I don't I mean, you don't even notice this is a kind of normalization that people talk about. I don't even notice this stuff anymore. It's like, you know what? You know, I mean, look, we haven't even talked about and I suspect we won't. But I'm just to throw this in there is the Stormy Daniels thing. Oh, yeah. And the, the, yeah. I mean, could you imagine? I know this is a boring point. I know it's a boring point, but I'm going to make it anyway. Could you imagine <laughs> Sanders voice. If, if, if in 2008, Barack Obama had just paid one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to a porn star to keep her mouth shut before the election named got, Stormy Daniels. Got, That's the important Stormy part. Daniels. It's amazing that that this is like not even, you know, cracking the top 10 on stories that are reported. But anyway, to, to that, I mean, I, you don't notice these flip flop things. But the one thing that just really I just got so sad when I saw the Washington Post story about Paul Ryan, um, who called the president. Did you see anyone see this story? No, he called the president after these back and forth tweets. And apparently, according to uh, sources, multiple sources of the Washington Post, he spent 30 minutes talking to the president, trying to explain the differences between between domestic and foreign surveillance. (laughs) I mean, it's in it's in the title right there, domestic and foreign surveillance. But apparently, uh, Paul Ryan had to 
to um, explain this and explain what what FISA meant for for foreign surveillance and how it encourages on domestic surveillance, whatever he was explaining to him. But, you know, everything that people say about Donald Trump, the same drumbeat is true. The last person that whispered in his ear has the upper hand. And obviously, if that, that's Judge Napolitano in the hairline, uh, staring down the camera, so yelling at him. <laughs> Sorry. What part of the Constitution? Yeah, it's not in the Constitution. Um, you know, that he's the one that's going to, to, to hold sway at that moment. But I think that it, it just reminds me in these debates that how far we have come, and I know Camille's going to get very upset by this. But I watched a clip, just a clip of um, of uh, Barack Obama, President Obama on David Letterman's new show, mm. uh, the Netflix series. Mm-hmm. And um, this is not a political point; it has nothing to do with politics. But it was. Um, I laughed. I like chuckled a few times, um, and I was like, you know, it's it's shtick. He's doing shtick um, when he's talking about his daughter, and he's talking about dancing and being pulled up on stage with Prince. And then I'm sitting there, there's the president and his daughter on stage with Prince. It is, I do actually miss having a president that is like charming. Vigorous hedging. Vigorous hedging. SMDH from Camille right there. Do not Camille Foster do it. This is not about politics. There is no, look, I mean, he's also, I mean, uh, again, this is not a policy thing. Obama being a clever guy, and you can see this in that, in, in the elements of the, those, those parts of the, the Letterman interview that I watched. But, like, just let's get back to the most basic unit of measurement here. The man, the current president, is not bright. Period. End of story. Meh. Oh, come on. At the, we, we can debate racism, but. The, the president is not being I right. I didn't say anything about but, his IQ. I, I, I say uh, meh. I, we've, we've talked about this in the past. That's having a technocrat in office who not only is thinks himself bright, but no. is perceived to be bright, has its own incumbent you're right. dangers. And I, wasn't I understand Michael's uh, Michael's wishing for... No, no, no. Uh, my, 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 you see, you're saying less... incumbent dangers from a policy level. I understand. I am just saying purely I understand. from the, the feeling that one gets to have somebody who isn't a national embarrassment and is actually charming, I there is something to be said for that. I understand. I, I don't mind um, embarrassment emanating from uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. Um, I think it's actually healthy for all Americans. You should feel a great deal of angst all the time because of the things the government is doing or not doing. Um, you just shouldn't be like a paranoid psychopath um, in response to all that. But I understand, Michael. I get it. I get so you're saying if we, right. a, if we had a beauty pageant, you would want to bring the elephant man to it. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> I don't want to go back <laughs> to Matt Welch's <laughs> elephant totally man totally fucking spot metaphor. on metaphor. It doesn't make as much sense as he would like to leave Oh, it was that that old completely insane thing that Matt yeah. said and we all sat and looked at him like yep. he was having a stroke? <laughs> That's exactly yeah. right. I, I love that it's one. It's still yeah. true. It is still true. Um, well, look. Uh, we'll Stormy s- Daniels. Stormy Daniels should be the name of either a... <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's your porn name if you're from Tampa. Well, it is a real porn name, so yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's also true. Uh, or like, or like a drink. Dark, the Dark and Stormy Daniels. The Dark and Stormy Daniels. That's, Peter Suderman's already, uh, already, yeah. uh, I, I, I thought it was like the adopted, uh, son of Charlie Daniels. It was like Stormy, <laughs> who's like, had like a record on some like Filipino label or something. Uh, and to tie it all up, t- Charlie Daniels this week, as you all know, um, expressed outrage on Twitter that Taco Bell is making light <laughs> 
of the Illuminati in its campaign. I was going to mention that. Oh, did he? Really? Oh, it was, Charlie Daniels had the best tweet of 2018, and you could just close the, the balloting right now. <laughs> I, I'm literally looking this up right yeah, now. It's great. And, I, 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 I had to triple check to make sure that it was really from his verified account. I, I know it's true because Jesse Walker sent it to me. I mean, that's like a, a, a perfect you know, Jesse Walker. The the conversation about Stormy, though, reminds me that we actually our 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 friend, Ellis Hennigan, um, who uh, are you calling her a porn actress? N- no, Ellis, the dude from. Oh, sorry, I was thinking yeah, about the Ellis. He's a before, cable news commentator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe he's still in New small, York. Small head, but also played Stormy on the uh, um, the C Lab 2021 show, the Adult Swim cartoon. Like he voiced that character in the animated show. We should yeah, have him on the he's podcast. He's weirdly rich because because um, that like would that. be fun. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, good. No, yeah, I'm we should totally get him on the work. show and have him buy us all uh, buy us all drip I don't know. Um, I, I just I want to say one thing that um, I did um, find the <laughs> the Charlie Daniels tweet, and I don't have a lot to add to this because it's essentially how Matt described it, and I just want to read it to you. Um, cause you know, it's only eight words. Hey, Taco Bell. He doesn't tag them, by the way. He just like, he's like yelling out his window. Hey, Taco Bell. No tag. The Illuminati is not a frivolous subject. No, it is not. 40, 42,000 likes, 41,000 of I'm which are of sarcastic. 15,459 retweets. Charlie Daniels. You get the Anthony Fisher Award for best tweet of 2018. Bless you. I wish, I wish, I wish it was always easy to tell when someone was retweeting something or liking it in a sarcastic way. Cause you can't know. And oftentimes I actually get sad. When I get sad, you know, you know, you know, crazy case, things uh, and they like it's it. Charlie Daniels. <laughs> Uh, the Charlie Daniels remaining fans are not uh, people like just pounding away on their laptops on Twitter. I hope you're right. I want to believe I think that. I'm right. I want to believe. Um, well, look, we've been going at it for a while. Um, Moynihan, I'm sure you've got all sorts of things to do down there in Georgia. Yeah, um, I gotta go. I don't know. <laughs> you got parting, parting shots. I got some thoughts. idiot wrote this. Uh, oh, good. Fond remembrances of MLK and the time you spent with him and what you learned from him. Uh, I will say I will say my some idiot wrote this um, is uh, a thousand idiots and I don't have one in particular is um, every year now we get the same thing on MLK Day is the person (laughs) who thinks that their recent ignorance is everybody else's ignorance and admonishes a nameless, faceless people for forgetting that Martin Luther King was a radical. You know this line, (laughs) right? Hey, we got to let's not airbrush. His radicalism out of out of out of his past. There's nothing that irritates me more than that because anybody that knows anything about uh, uh, Martin Luther King knows that um, he was not a Hayekian and he opposed the Vietnam War, and that's 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 fine, and that's still makes him a, a, an interesting and, and and great man in a lot of ways. He so is. Uh, I, I I hate that bit. Also you know? surveilled by the uh, by the FBI, which is uh, relevant. To, uh, <laughs> yes, and I won't and I won't get to the into it. Stuff. By the way, just if anyone if anyone hasn't watched. Dave Chappelle's two two new comedy specials. Oh my God! Please go Netflix. watch them. The second so one good. has a joke in it about um, uh, the surveillance of Martin Luther King, which uh, is also a Me Too joke, and it's it's quite funny. The uh, the Chappelle bits. I watched the second one. Um, I, I watched the 
for me, it was the second one, but it was the, uh, the, the one where he talked about Louis C.K. that he taped in L.A. Yeah, yeah. I watched that yeah. live during the Golden Globes. I watched the Golden Globes and I, you know, I, I could stand about 15 minutes of the kind of treacly crap happening and I just needed some like injection of something else. And that juxtaposition against the weird kind oh, of yeah. crazy art that he was busting, yeah. uh, there and just the, exploration of so many different uh, possibilities of nuance there. And then you go back and I think I, I came back in the middle of Oprah's speech. Uh -huh. Like it just, it was jarring. Like he's operating on some level of, of both uh, uh, on the art of it, especially the DC one more than the LA one. It was just really uh, incredibly written. I thought, uh -huh. um, uh, but also like trying to go, this is kind of what you were supposed to do with comedy, yeah, yeah. trying to go to places that, that uh, trample over your comfort zones yeah, yeah. and your sense of who you're supposed to root for and root against uh, was uh, it, it's remarkable. Uh, yeah. It's 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 the best art was I think it, I've seen. It in was a, in it a was long time. funny as hell. Um, it was wonderful. A, a free speech tour de force, um, and also an extraordinary example of what it looks like to have fuck you money. Like <laughs> yeah. he it's exactly right. doesn't have it's exactly to play right. anything safe. He said absolutely everything he wanted to in every single circumstance. And there was something extraordinarily like, I don't know, invigorating about watching someone be that candid and open and honest in public. It just, we, we are at a point where you, you this is dangerous to do. And for whatever reason, like Dave is one of those people who's in like a rarefied space where he can do this. Um, and, uh, I hope he, I hope he keeps doing it because <laughs> someone said to me by example. At that point, someone said to me, you know, it's, it's like amazing that Chappelle like just doesn't care. And he came out and said, I was like, y you know, he got 65 million for those four. <laughs> <Yeah. votes." laughs> I'll tell you what, rich. I would come out in Louis CK on stage 60, for 65 million dollars. 65 million dollars for four yeah, specials. Yeah. I think it was 65 million. Yeah. And, and the okay, other one, comment in that was great when he said that he doesn't want his son to grow up in a world where everything's safe, that the language is safe and the jokes are safe. And that, that was actually a pretty kind of weirdly, it was a funny, but like weirdly tender and uh, bit and something that, that resonated uh, with a lot of people that I talked to who watched, watched that special. Uh, yeah, 60, $65 million. 60 million. Um, 60 million. 60 yeah. million Good. Did, did he have to pay back a lot of money when he bailed on his Comedy Central show? I don't know. He is. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, don't know. I, think, I think he got like re-upped for two seasons and then, like half an episode into that extension, he just bailed. Yeah, he was hard up when he uh, when he came back. So I'm glad that I'm glad things turned around for him. And, and like I say, he's just great. Um, I thought it was hilariously funny. My somebody wrote this very quickly. Tucker yeah. Carlson tonight on Twitter. <laughs> the truth is our ruling class supports our current immigration policy because for them, it's all upside for them. Open borders mean cheaper labor and bountiful household help and above all the sense that unlike you they're good people hashtag tucker mm. at fox news fuck off tucker <laughs> seriously i'm sorry um tucker is named tucker his brother is called <laughs> buckley he's called buckley and he wears a bow tie which doesn't use much anymore and he looks like Tucker. He's the ruling class, guys. <laughs> He's always been Sorry. the ruling class. And now he has Sorry. the ear of the president of the United States. Who yeah. is the fucking ruling class? Is it Camille Foster? It, uh, it not, should be. It's not, but it ought to be. You're right. Should be. And when it is, we're going to be taking some bids 
on uh, on you know uh, spilling the beans to babe.net. <laughs> I don't any, have any anything juicy, dot net. I don't have any juicy stories. Fisher, you got anything before we punch out of here? Real quick, um, uh, major figure in the hashtag resistance, Eric Garland of um, of uh, what was it? Game Theory. Yeah, that was his claim to fame. Uh, taking it back to your uh, interest in FISA and Senator Rand Paul. Mm. Uh, so the so Eric Garland tweets from CNN Politics uh, five days ago. Senator Rand Paul threatens to filibuster over the Federal Intelligence Surveillance Act and. And Eric Garland's very um, glib comment, one of two guys to vote against Russia sanctions. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> That's good. I, I've got one, but it's it's long and I'm not going to do it today. I might do it at, at some other place at some other time. Uh, but, gentlemen, it was uh, wonderful to be with you here again. And, and maybe maybe we'll do another one before the end of the week. No promises. Bye. Bye. All right. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse.